we wrap up our four-week series entitled Dominion. The good news is, is that God didn't just intend for us to have dominion over self, Satan, and circumstance, but he also intended for us to have dominion over something that is eternal and eternal circumstances. He intended for us to have dominion over sin. And so we wrap up with this last, this fourth week on dominion over sin. You know, life's greatest challenges are sin and death. All have sinned and broken fellowship with the one holy God who is the source of life. That's the bad news. We've all sinned. Look at somebody next to you and just say to them, you are a sinner. <laughs> You've been wanting to tell somebody that next to you probably for a while. So you get some stuff off your chest. But now look at, now point to yourself and say, but I'm a sinner too. But the good news is, God loved us so much that he took on flesh. He came into this world to restore fellowship, and as a sinless human, Jesus died in our place, and he rose again. I, I'm getting ready to preach a little bit about salvation, and I pray to the living God that I'm still in a place where someone's still excited about the plan of salvation, that there's someone here that even if you say, well, I've already done all that, I heard one time that the mark of an alive and powerful church is this. Do they still get excited about the plan of salvation even after they've already followed it? And so he offers this salvation as a gift, an invitation. And because of that, Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. So if you want to ever say the devil made me do it, we already learned in the first, second week of this series, can't use that one no more. Sin does not have any dominion over us. There has been a sin problem for thousands of years. God created man and woman in his spiritual, moral, and intellectual image. Originally, humans were, in, they were innocent. They were sinless. They were given a free will. And Adam and Eve, they chose, they made a choice to disobey God's commands. And now everyone is born into sin with flesh that has a natural aversion to sin. I've said this throughout the series. I might have to teach my kids to, to try to tie their shoe or eat their vegetables or Bible quiz or do whatever. Uh, let's not lie. Jackie works with them on Bible quizzing. I just cheer them on. But, but I might have to try and teach them those things. But never do I have to say, now guys, here's how you sin. Because we have a natural aversion to sin. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we're all sinners. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. See, that first Adam, Jesus is sometimes called in Scripture the second Adam, because the first Adam, he brought sin into the world. But the second Adam is going to pay the price and fix the problem. 
And so the sinful nature inevitably leads us to sinful acts and results in condemnation. The Bible emphatically declares that all humans are sinners. Isaiah 64, 6, but, as, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, are as filthy rags, and we all do fade away as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So even if you're going, well, you know what, I'm doing pretty well. I've only sinned one time or two times. First of all, you are a liar. You've sinned more than that. But let's just go with it and say you sin once or twice. You're still a sinner. And as a result, humanity is under the sentence of death, both physically and spiritually. James 1.15 says, When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And because of that, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for the second part of that passage. But the first part says, we've all sinned, and there's a price to pay for that sin. And the price to pay is death. That doesn't sound like a very hopeful message. I mean, if I preach today, you're all sinners. There's what the scripture says. And the wages of sin are death. God bless you all. Have a great day. It's not a lot of hope there. But here's the thing. Death means separation. The ultimate spiritual death is permanent separation from God. God calls his people to separation from this world. We see this over and over throughout. Churches, they're, they're countercultural. If you're like, well, my goal is to fit in with culture, you're not going to enjoy serving God very much because God is count. He loves people but he's countercultural, So we're not going to change things in the church just because society says a certain thing. The Bible is and always will be absolute truth. And so we align our lives to scripture, but his, he'll say, come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing. And so God demands a separate people. Ecclesia, that, that word for church that we're using is a called out group called out from everyone else. That doesn't mean, oh, we can now be arrogant and think we're better than people. No, simply saying, I've set you aside for a purpose or for my plan. And so we will either respond to his call to be ye separate, and we will be separate from the world. We're still in the world. We still love the people. We still serve our communities. But knowing that, hey, this, this culture does not dictate the way I live my life or the way I serve my God. And so I'm called to be separate. Or what happens is the world will separate us from God. So you're either going to say, I want to live separate unto God, or the world is going to separate me from God. Either way, there will be separation. He says, one day I'm going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He, there, there's always separation. There is not a place for sin in the kingdom of God. And so sin has to be atoned for or taken care of. And you are empowered to choose if you will be separated from God by the world or separated from the world unto God. You choose that. And so God came in flesh as Jesus Christ to provide salvation for his fallen creation. He didn't just come to pay a price for sin, but he also gives his spirit-filled church dominion I just lost, oh, there we go. I don't know what happened. Dominion over sin. He didn't just say, I'm going to pay a price for sin. You're going to have dominion over sin. 
I'm thankful for that because I don't have to be afraid. Like, what if I sin again? Oh, no, I'm going to fall into this pit of sin. People sometimes paint that picture. I've fallen into sin as if we were just walking along and like, oh, that dirty devil. He threw a hole in my path and I didn't see it and fell through it again. I fell into sin. Let's be honest. Most of the time we look and go like Eve, man, that fruit looks good. Boy, I would like to hold that. I'd like to touch that. I'd like to taste that. I wonder what that would be like. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it. That didn't fall into sin. And we can say, I know Adam and Eve, how dare they? And then we do the same thing every day, just not with the fruit of the tree. God's holy law requires death as a penalty for sinners. Without the shedding of blood or the giving of, of a life, there can be no remission or release from sin. So more importantly, there can be not just the release of sin, but the restoration of fellowship with God. Because you see, we can just talk about like, I don't want to sin. 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 Lord, help me not to sin. It's not just help me not to sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just eating fruit and falling away and somebody has to pay a price. They had to leave the garden where they walked with God every day in, in the cool of the day in that garden. And so it wasn't just, oh, hey, I just sinned. It was separation from God. And so when God says, I'm going to take on flesh, it wasn't just, I'm going to pay price for sin, but it's also, I want to restore fellowship. The rest of the Bible is about our loving Savior pursuing us in such a way that he goes, I want again to know you, and I want again for you to know me. I want restoration of relationship. And so they were killing animals in the Old Testament because it would never take care of the sin, but it was an act. It was a preparation for Jesus being the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But they would kill the animal and they would pour the blood out. But then you get to the New Testament and Hebrews 10 says it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. It was just an atonement lamb would just push the sins back another year till we could go through that, rich, uh, that, that religious ritual. To provide a suitable substitute, God says, I am not going to require anybody else to do this. I'm going to take on flesh. That wasn't a co-equal, co-eternal, triune God. That was just God himself going, instead of dwelling in a spirit just in the heavens, I'm going to take on humanity. I'm not going to cease being God anywhere else, but I'm going to take on a body so that I can have blood to shed for my people. He was the only sinless human who ever lived, and because of that, he was the only human in history who did not deserve to die because we've all sinned. So guess what that means? Based on God's laws and commands, we all deserve to die. But there was one sinless man, the only one in humanity that did not deserve to die. So he was the only one that was qualified to pay that price. On the third day, and that's what happens, he's crucified. And on the third day after his death, Christ rose with a glorified body, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And his resurrection is essential to our salvation because it made his death effective. What kind of a savior is it if he dies and doesn't rise again? 
1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is in vain too. Without the resurrection, there's a lot of people claiming to be Messiah back then. Without the death, the death paid the price, but the resurrection provided the victory. And so the cross was the one final sacrifice for all time. It opened up access to the throne of God. It said it was God not just saying, you can come into me, but him coming out to us going, this has been my plan all along since Adam and Eve messed it up. And they didn't just bring sin to the world, but they broke fellowship. And he says, now that I've died on the cross, you can come boldly before the throne of grace. That is some of the greatest news that I can ever preach in this pulpit, is that even though we are sinners, because he died on that cross, he says, the door's open. You can come into my presence once again. Sin has entered, but it doesn't have to be the final chapter the cross opened the door for us to have dominion over sin to not just be forgiven but we can walk going no never again will will sin have dominion over my life god grants forgiveness from past sin deliverance from the present bondage of sin and insurance of victory over sin in the future how can we receive this comprehensive dominion over sin how can we, we receive god's gift of salvation leave it as a cliffhanger while I take my sport coat off. Thank you, sir. Based on the weather lately, I promise uh, I thought I'd never be warm again. But here I sit, just a little warm. Man, oh man, it's been so cold, I started thinking about the heat of hell. Be like, is it going to be that bad? I mean, no, no, I'm, just, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. God grants forgiveness, but the pathway to salvation is to believe on Jesus. But a lot of religious circles will just end there. Just believe on Jesus and you're saved. He paid the price. Just believe him, you're saved. Oh, biblical belief. I, I'm not going to argue with you about that being the starting point. We absolutely have to believe on Jesus. We got no chance. And I know that's not proper English. We got no chance without Jesus. But saving faith is more than agreement or confession. It involves trusting and obeying. For instance, if someone shouts, the building's on fire. I hope nobody downstairs just heard me say that. There's panic, pandemonium downstairs. No. The occupants, us, will only be delivered if we run outside. We are only saved as we respond in obedient faith. Now, I know some of us would be like, I don't believe it till I smell the smoke and see the fire. Well, then you all can sit here and figure it out. Somebody shouts, the building's on fire, and I trust them. Some of the kids in children's ministries are like, oh, there's a fire. I'm, I might be like, well, who, okay, where's the adult? Like, I might, I might need a second. But if brother, brother Foster runs up and goes, guys, the building's on fire. I don't need to be like, yeah, right, Brother Foster. <laughs> brother Foster, you're just a jokester like you always do. <laughs> 
he don't play. We'd know it's for real. <laughs> now, our other associate pastor, I might be like, all right, no. We, <laughs> we'd be like, get the kids. We got to get out. Because I trust what they're saying, and I would trust both of them. I would trust them. I would trust just about anybody. Hey, there's a fire in the building. I, I wouldn't need to be like, we'll see. I'm not sure. No, I'm going to respond in obedience about what we're saying. We're, hey, head out this door. We got, we got to evacuate the building. I trust you, so therefore I will obey. I will align. Salvation comes by grace through faith. The problem is, is we think of faith as like, oh, I just trust you, I just believe you. But biblically, the definition of faith, you didn't separate faith and obedience. They went hand in hand. So if you believed something, you would act. Eve could say, oh, I believe God that I'm going to eat this fruit. Now, I believe, but she still needed to obey. Noah could have said, I know that I need to build this boat. But if Noah chooses not to build the boat, he dies in the flood. So God's grace reaches out, faith responds positively or negatively, but then there's obedience. We need to act on what we believe. And so no amount of good works or adherence to law can save us. If somebody's like, well, you just need to work on being a good person, you keep working on being a good person for the rest of your entire life, and you still aren't qualified to be saved. Ephesians 2.8 says, by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. The only way we got a chance at salvation, we already know we're all sinners. And if you didn't know that, somebody leaned over and told you this morning. We already know we're all sinners. And we already know biblically, if we're Bible believers, which we are, that the wages of sin are death. So we're all sinners. We're all dying. We got no chance. Except Jesus steps in. And now he provides a plan. I'm not going to be able to do anything to earn my own salvation. But he is calling me. He's inviting me into his plan and saying, I'm demanding obedience. Now, me obeying doesn't mean I earned that salvation. It just means I aligned with his plan for my salvation. But without him, I don't get a chance. To believe on Jesus is to believe his word. And truly believing means obeying. Faith is more than mental assent, intellectual acceptance, or verbal profession. You know, you'll hear somebody, oh, just believe in the Lord. Just repeat these words. Great. Hey, I think you should believe on the Lord. If somebody's trying to lead you through a prayer, great. But that's not worth salvation. That's not salvation. He lays out his plan for us, and faith includes trust, reliance, commitment, and application to our lives. We can't separate saving faith from obedience. Obedience to God's word is absolutely necessary for full salvation. Faith is alive only through response and action. We see Jesus' brother James. He talks about this, James 2.14. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? Kind of a hypothetical like, oh, well, yeah, I guess faith can save you, can it? He says, next verse, he says, if a brother or sister be naked, destitute of daily food and one of you say unto them depart from me peace be oh warmed and filled somebody comes in your door i'm broken I'm, i got no clothes i'm hungry and you're like well lord bless you brother and slam the door what in the world good did you just do it's kind of a little a little comical you know a little uh, sarcastic writing there possibly and so what does the next verse say he says 
17, even so, just like that, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It's worthless. If we say we believe something and we go, oh, I go to this church and I believe in God and I do all these things, but I'm not willing to, to do anything about the message. He's going, that kind of faith is worthless. Man. Next verse. Yea, a man say he has faith. Thou, thou has faith and I have works. He says, you know what? You go ahead. I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Thou believest there's one God. The devils also believe and tremble. He, by the way, oneness of God, even the devils believe in one God. But why did he throw that in there? Because if faith alone saves us, then we're going to be rejoicing with the demons in heaven one day. Because scripturally, it says they believe. But we know the demons, the devil's not going to heaven. Why? Because there's more than just belief. In the next verse, 20, wilt thou know faith without, he says it again, faith without works is dead. It's worthless to say, I go to this church, I do this, I believe in God, but I'm not going to do anything with any of the parts that, I mean, if everything I preach, you're just like, cool, interesting. I'm not doing anything you're saying. And I know that that happens, unfortunately, at times. But that type of faith is not really faith. It's, we need works with that. Not meaning works that we've earned our salvation, but it's response to his plan. And that's why in verse 24, he says, works, a man is justified, not by faith only. Verse 26, he says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith also without works is dead. Faith and action need to go hand in hand. It's possible to have an initial degree of faith in Christ and still not be saved. I have scripture for this. Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. What are you talking about? People crying out to God. They got to be believers. They're crying out to him. And he says, nope, he that doeth, notice it does not say do once, doeth, E-T-H, continue to do the will of my Father. He says, many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not, we're not just talking about an average believer. Somebody who's going, I have prophesied in your name. I have cast out devils. I've done wonderful works in your name. And he says, I'm going to profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, that might freak some people out. But what that's saying, when you read on, he starts talking about false teachers and false prophets. Why? Because there's all kinds of people that can preach a certain way. But here's what we need to do. I need to get back to the word. Does what I'm hearing align with the word? Is what I'm hearing following the acts of the apostles? And that's where I need to be. That's where my safety is because a lot of people are saying a lot of different stuff. I got to go back to, if you ever start hearing me preach, you go, well, my personal opinion on this, you know, my dad taught me and my pastor and my church back home. None of that matters. I better always be preaching the word of God in God's word alone. And so... We need to go, okay, I don't want to be one of these people that do all these powerful things and say, oh, Lord, I've done these things in your name. And then the day comes and I'm going to hell. I don't want that. 
I want to know, you know what, God? Help me to align my life with you. Help me to walk in your plan for my salvation, to continue to do the will of your Father. God, I want that, Jesus. Faith is the means of appropriating God's grace. Saving faith includes acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is where some people will stop, but it's acceptance and then it's obedience. I'm going to accept this. It's a gift of salvation. I'm going to accept it, but now I'm going to obey the plan. Peter was handpicked and trained by Jesus, and then he was empowered by Jesus. And when someone in the book of Acts said to Peter, the man handpicked by Jesus, trained by Jesus, Jesus comes and finds Peter in a low moment after his resurrection. He's like, man, I done let him down. I betrayed him. The cock crowed three times, just like he said, I'm just a loser. I ain't never going to amount to nothing. I'm going back to fishing. And that's exactly what he did sitting on the, the seaside. He's back fishing, filleting fish. Not the filet fish That's not even real fish at McDonald's, okay? Do they still have filet fish at McDonald's? Don't eat it, my Lord. It ain't real. If I'm, uh, if I'm messing you up, I'm sorry, but it's not real. Somebody's here is like, I wasn't offended at his salvation message, but I was offended that he ripped on McDonald's. I love that chicken nugget at McDonald's that always looks like Italy. Little boot. I get it every time. It's amazing. They asked Peter, and they said, what are we supposed to do? They felt conviction in their heart. Peter did not say, guys, nothing to worry about. Just believe on Jesus. He done paid the price for you, and you're saved. It's a beautiful day. Peter responded. And Peter said in Acts 2.38, he says, I'll tell you what to do. It's very succinct, much more succinct than me as a preacher. He says, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And you're going to get this beautiful thing that we just experienced called the Holy Ghost. Oh, that's what you teach in the United Pentecostal Church. That's just, no, 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 no. This is what I am reading scripture. This is what Jesus' hand-picked guy got up and preached at the birth of the New Testament church when someone asked him, what are we supposed to do? He did not just say, just believe. He said, hey, you better believe, but here's what you need to do with that belief. Repent of those sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and he'll fill you with the Holy Ghost. And so here we are in 2024. We're still opening altars saying, come and repent of your sins. We have a baptismal tank right here that's filled with clean, warm water and gowns to change in. And we're still baptizing someone in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Just like Peter said to do it. We'll lay hands on you and you might think it's crazy, but you will begin to speak in tongues.
as the Spirit gives you the utterance. Just like what Peter preached. Just like what Peter experienced. When you go back to Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Don't tell me it's not for today. When Peter said, this is the plan. Oh, without Jesus, there is no salvation. Without faith, there is no salvation. But without a response, there is no faith. You can say, oh, yeah, I believe this. No, you don't. Because if I'm not willing to respond, I don't have the faith that it's true. But if I'm going to be part of the bride of Christ... I'm going to take on the name of Jesus. That's why a lot of people are getting in relationships and they're not getting married because they're in a relationship going, yeah, I think I love this person, but I'm not willing to say I fully trust them. I'm willing to take the next step. I'm not willing to become a bride or a bridegroom. I'm not willing to go into a covenant. Jesus says, I love you, and we have a relationship. I'm not saying, oh, if you've never repented, you've never been baptized, you've got no relationship with God. No, 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 no. God is drawing you. He's drawing you. That's why it's called new birth, being born again. A woman can have a baby in her womb, and there's conception there. There is life in that womb, but that baby has not yet been born. God is drawing some of you. There's conception. There's life in your relationship with God. But he's drawing you to this place to be born again. He's drawing you into a place where he's saying, I'm calling you to repent of your sins. I'm calling you to be baptized in the precious name of Jesus. I want you to take on my name. I want you to be my bride. I don't want to just be dating anymore. I want to go to the next level in this relationship with my bride. I want you to be my bride. I want you to take on my name. And then I'm going to put my spirit in you. You're going to speak with other tongues. That's why he's telling us to repent. If you've never repented, that's the first step. Don't jump in this water without repentance. You just go in a dry center and come out a wet one. But when I go, God, help me. Forgive me. Well, how? What's the prayer of repentance? It's whatever in the world you want it to be. It comes from your heart. God, forgive me. God, I messed up. God, you know what I've done. Forgive me. Clean me, Lord. I don't want to keep living in sin. I want to turn from sin. I want to follow that plan of salvation. And after I've died out to that flesh, that's that death burial, resurrection. I'm aligning with Jesus here. Jesus died. I died as flesh by repenting of sin. But then comes the burial. Romans 6, 4 says, therefore, Paul writes to the Roman church. He says, therefore, we are therefore buried with him. How do we get buried with him? I'm glad you asked, Paul says. By baptism. Unto death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of God the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. After we repent of our sins, we've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This is not, hear me right now, this is not a religious ritual. This is not like, hey, this is how you join Refuge Church. Please. Ain't nothing to do with joining a church. It has nothing to do. No, this is about following God's plan for salvation. Some churches will say water baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith or a catechism or a way that you join a local congregation. Baloney on that. This is between you and Jesus. This is Jesus saying, I want to restore what was broken by sin. And between me and you, I want you to repent and turn from sin. I want you to come to this water and be baptized in my 
my precious name and I want to put my spirit inside you. This is an invitation for restoration of relationship. This is a lot more. This is a covenant. It's more than, oh, an outward sign or joining a church. That's not what we teach and believe because it's not what the Bible does. And because of this, because of all this baptism is part of salvation. Again, some things, churches won't say that. Are you telling me that baptism is part of salvation? Is that what you believe? That's what Peter believed. The man that was handpicked and trained by Jesus. In 1 Peter 3.21, he says, The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. Well, is that what you preach around here? Absolutely, because it's in the Bible. Baptism is part of the salvation process. It's not magical water or cleansing of the filth of the flesh. If you just need a bath today, don't take it here. I'm trying to get all that funky stuff into water. No, no, no. No, this is not removal of filth of the flesh. This is the answer of a good conscience where we go, God, I'm ready. Don't just jump in here. This is a covenant. Don't just marry the first person that comes along. This is a covenant. If you've been having Jesus, he's dealing with you. There's people right now watching online or sitting here today. You might just be feeling this. Maybe you're contemplating, you know, I never have been. Well, how do I know? If you have never been baptized, not in any titles, other names or phrases, but if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you might say, well, I've been baptized before. That's fine. But... When, 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 when you look in the, uh, in the New Testament, there were people that were baptized by John. And when he comes up and goes, have you been baptized? Have you been filled with the Holy Ghost? They're like, we don't even know about the Holy Ghost. Well, whose baptism were you baptized into? We were baptized into John, John the Baptist. And they said, well, you know what? There's a different baptism because that was before a man named Jesus Christ. Jesus means salvation. And he died on a cross for your sins. They all got re-baptized. So if you're here going, well, I just don't know. I've never been baptized in that beautiful, precious name. Well, today's your day. And if you're sitting here going, well, yeah, but I just don't know. Well, I want you to know, scripturally, the root word of the meaning bapto, baptism, it's, it's, it's transliterated into Greek, from Greek into English. Baptism, what we use, that, that root word is to immerse, plunge, put down in processing fluid. Matthew 3.16 said Jesus, when he was baptized, came straightway up out of the water. So if all you've ever done is had sprinkling on your head, I don't mean that disrespectful. I don't mean it rude. I'm sure it was a very, it may be a, a, a very spiritual day for you and you intended for it to be very powerful. But I'm telling you without disrespect, that's not the way that he laid it out in the New Testament. That the people who were baptized, it says they purposely went to a place where there was a lot water. Jesus and Himself. It was immersed in, in, and came up out of the water. The, the word itself means to dip, plunge, immerse in a, in a processing liquid. So if you're here going, well, I've never been baptized, or I was baptized a different way. I've never been baptized. Put under the water in the name of Jesus Christ. The beautiful news is today before you leave, this is clean, warm water. There's gowns back there. And if you're ready to repent of your sins, this will be a day that you will never forget as long as you're alive. (laughs) 
Why the name important? Because the scripture says it's important. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven, I need to wrap this up. He commanded the followers to wait until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, 4 to 5, he's resurrected. He's got his believers stationed in Jerusalem, getting ready for the outpouring of the Spirit. And it says, being assembled together with them, commanded them. He said, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait here. The promise is coming. And this wasn't the first time they heard about the promise. He had been telling them about it. Read the book of John over and over and over and over. over. He says, yo, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Even the prophet John. John says, hey, I'm not worried to undo his shoes. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It, it had been just prophesied. It was coming. Even Old Testament prophets talked about it. So now Jesus is going, the day's coming. It's around the corner. It's going to be incredible. Wait here in Jerusalem. And he quotes that. He says, John baptized with water. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And so believers, they're waiting they're there. And about 120 disciples received the promise on that birthday of the Christian church. When we read the book of Acts, the birth of the New Testament church. It says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, it says they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly you don't need to sit and go, well, I don't know when it's going to happen. It's going to be a suddenly moment when you're ready for it, when you're hungry for God. Suddenly it says there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all, all of them, 120 including Mary, the mother of Jesus, spoke in tongues. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. How do we know? Scripture says they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. If you're here waiting for some angel to come grab your tongue and flap it around, it ain't going to happen. He's going to give you the utterance. So when you feel the powerful presence of God, I promise you, you will never get the Holy Ghost when you're going, I don't think this is really real. I just don't know if this is a real thing. Well, then you don't believe scripture. Then you have faith, but not, not, not believe. And faith without works is dead. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying scripturally, if you're saying, I don't believe this is a legit thing, then you're saying, I only believe parts of Scripture. But when I repent of my sins and God wants to fill me with His Spirit, I promise you, you never get the Holy Ghost like this. I don't know, I'm just waiting for something to happen. When they got the Holy Ghost, their mouth was open. They were worshiping God. They were praising God. They, they, they repented of their sins, and they all began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You're going to begin to speak sounds and words that you've never spoken. It's not going to be any known language that you have. Well, that just sounds supernatural to me. 100%. I agree with you. 100%.
And so, and if you're going, well, Peter stands up, and they're going, well, what, what are we supposed to do here? And, and, and Peter starts preaching a message, and Peter connects this to the Old Testament prophet Joel because he's the one that stands up and says, hey, I'm going to tell you, it's what Joel talked about. Acts 2.17, he says, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And as the church expanded through the first century, well, yeah, but that was for them back then. Now, that, that, that was a good story, but it's not for us today. Peter begs to differ. Acts 2.39 says, The promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Here we are in 2024, and God's using a preacher to call people to salvation once again, just like he did back then. He's using a preacher like he used Peter. And I'm just wondering if there's anybody here that's going, what can I do to be saved? The answer is repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus and he will fill you with his spirit speaking in tongues might sound strange to you and before I close I will just say this the Bible records five accounts of people receiving the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church it was the Jews the Samaritans the Gentiles or non-Jewish people the Apostle Paul and the disciples of John at Ephesus in Acts 19 this record establishes that the baptism of the Spirit is indeed forever everybody. It was for the Jew, for the Gentile, for the male, for the female. It was for the, those in bondage, those free. And here we are today. You might be saying, is it really for me? God is saying, yes it is. Red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. I learned that in children's ministry. And here we are in 2024. And God is once again reaching to his people and saying, sin messed things up but I came to restore fellowship I came to reach for my people once again and we can say yes I believe or we can say yes I believe and what wilt thou have me to do and if you're here saying I am ready what does he want me to do I invite you right now every person to come and to find a place at this altar well I can pray from my chair you're at absolutely right but there's something about leaving what is familiar leaving what is ordinary and saying I'm leaving this place I'm walking up to somewhere that it might be just a little uncomfortable it might be a little bit different and begin to pray a prayer of repentance that's a turning away from sin that's God forgive me God I'm sorry God I want my heart right God I want my mind right God touch my spirit Lord and once you begin to pray that prayer of repentance, you can see me. You can see one of our pastoral team members, one of our guest relations staff. We'll help you get back there and show you where to change. We have clean gowns, warm water, and we can baptize you in that beautiful and precious, life-changing name of Jesus Christ. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm telling you, come talk to me. Just say, hey, I want this. I will guide you through. I will provide some instruction. One of our pastoral team members will provide some instruction. One of our people in the church who have been already experienced, they'll provide some instruction. And you will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost because it's a promise, because it's his plan. Oh, 
this is more than a church service. This is an invitation for restoration of fellowship. Spirit God, send your spirit God. 